5, starting in verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Secondly, we want to turn back to 1 Peter chapter 3. Starting at the beginning of that chapter, 1 Peter 3. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty or fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him master. You are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husband might do. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, again, this opportunity to come and be ministered to and to minister to others. Lord, I ask that you would bless this service today. Uh, Lord, help us to apply these, your words, to our heart today. Uh, And Lord, even though this scripture speaks primarily to the wives, Lord, let us as husbands listen and hear how we are supposed to be as well. Lord, I ask that, again, you would bless this service, you would bless those sitting here and those watching at home. Uh, Lord, be with those who cannot be here today uh, through injury or illness, Lord. Uh, Lord, help them to recover and bring healing to each and every one of their lives. Lord, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. This morning, I want to uh, address the, uh, what I call the agenda of a wife. Now, this is not to beat up on the ladies of the congregation. That's not what this is intended to be at all. Lord knows I've beat up the men enough. But now it's time to direct to the agenda of a wife. What do the scriptures have to say? Right now, I truly believe that the family is under attack. What is known as what is called critical race theory. Their agenda is to dominate and to destroy the family unit as we know it today. As individuals, uh, the critical race theory literally wipes out everything that Martin Luther King tried to establish in the 1960s. You might remember Martin Luther King's famous uh, sermon that he preached, if you will, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial when he said he had a dream. And the dream was, is that no longer would we judge an individual by the color of their skin, but by the character of their life. The critical race theory switches that. Now it is judging individuals by the color of the skin, period. In that being is that because I am white, heterosexual, male, Christian and a preacher, I have been labeled as a five point oppressor. 
And it is up to the critical race theorists to eradicate me. And by the way, you too. And so I think it is imperative as a shepherd, under the under-shepherd of the great shepherd to the sheep, to instruct you and to prepare you so that you'll be able to stand. Stand in these days. Some of you have been married for quite a number of years. And you're probably wondering, what, what use is this to me? Well, it may it strengthen you right now, but also to use it as an opportunity to instruct the next generation. They need direction. They need to be encouraged through the word of God. That it's okay to be a wife. It's okay to be a husband. It's okay to be a male. It's okay to be a female. Now I'm in deep trouble. They got six things against me now. This morning, before we get into the passages that Pastor Steve read, I want to take us back to the beginning. How did this all come about? What is the cauldron, if you will, that has been smoldering for generations that has caused the distress in our society today and in the world? We've got to go back to Genesis chapter 3. Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we see, if you will, four deaths that have happened that are evident in our society and our world today. There are four of them. We know that in Genesis chapter 3, it is the account of the sin that Adam and the woman, I'll explain that, why I said it that way, while Adam and the woman disobeyed God simply by God said, do not eat of the tree of the fruit, or eat the fruit of the tree of good and knowledge, of good and evil, of knowledge of good and evil. We know that they did. Thus, in that, God said, you shall surely die. But there are four deaths that are listed here in this passage for us. The first one is the relational death. In chapter 3 and verse 16, you will see that as God turns to the woman, God says to her, he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Relational. God is not sharing here, he's not speaking here of a sexual desire. He is speaking of who's going to be in charge. God is saying to the woman, your desire is going to be that you want to rule. You want to have the authority. You're the one who wants to set the pace of family. You'll be the one who will desire to occupy a place of authority that is not yours to have. 
But the second part of the relationship is this. And it says, yet he will rule over you. That word rule literally means slavery. He, meaning the husband, the man, is going to want to dominate you. As an owner of a slave, he is going to want to literally run your life. That wasn't what it was in the very beginning. For if you go back to chapter 2 of the book of Genesis, you'll recognize that Adam and woman were satisfied with their positions. Woman was created to be a helpmate, to be a helper. Come alongside the husband, if you will, the man. And be there for comfort, for encouragement. Yes, even to pray with. And they were satisfied with that until sin entered the realm and that relationship stopped. I can't imagine the conversations that Adam and the woman would have had after that. Well, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have had to work so hard. Well, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have to bear these children in pain. I can't imagine what carried on at that time. The relational death happened. The second death that we have is an economic death. That we see over in verses 17 through 19. Where all of a sudden, work became a burden instead of a blessing. The difficulty even now that employers are facing, having to entice individuals to come to work with sign-on bonuses, that's nothing new. It's here. Mankind was born, they were ingrained by God to work. But that has died. Now I want people to take care of me. I don't want any responsibility. I don't want anything other than enough just to get by with. And brothers and sisters, when I was 18 years old, If Remington Arms would have given me a $2,000 sign-on bonus, I'd have been there the second after I graduated, not two days later. It's changed. Economic death now became part of our society. Look what it has done to some of our nations. Where people live in squalor. There is no opportunity. All because of Genesis chapter 3. The third death is this. Of course, this one is not difficult to see. Spiritual death happened. 
Adam and woman used to be able to have fellowship with God. They walked and talked together in the garden. Then after sin, Adam and woman hid themselves. And in Genesis chapter 3, you see the introduction of a word that has not yet occurred in the scriptures. And it's the word afraid. God asks them, why were you hiding? Not that God needed to under He knew it why they were hiding. And Adam and the woman said, we were afraid of you. We were afraid. The very first time that word is used in the scriptures, fear. The relationship, the spiritual relationship, the walking with God was over. And it is not recorded again where God spoke to Adam and the woman. He did speak to their offspring, but not to mom and dad. That was severed. The third one, the fourth one, excuse me, is the biological death. Obviously, from that point on, Adam and the woman began to physically, biologically, if you will, die. The best illustration I can give to you is a vase of beautiful flowers when they are first cut from the stem. They begin to die. You don't recognize it right at the very beginning because they're fresh and they smell wonderful. Thank you for the flowers that you've given to my wife and her time of recovery. But they are slowly dying. The evidence is there. They have been severed from that which was giving them life and have been placed into a falsehood of water with a few keepsake, if you will, ripening chemicals added to it to hopefully make them last longer. It's a biological death that at that moment in time, Adam and the woman began to leave this earth. That is not difficult because the scriptures tells us the writer of Hebrews says it is appointed unto man once to die. That is what we have. As a consequence of their sin, death, Romans chapter 5, has passed unto all humankind. Death. I want to come back and refresh you with a comment that I said earlier. I continually refer to Adam and the woman. And it wasn't until after sin entered the earth that Adam named his wife Eve. She was no longer satisfied with her position. Prior to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20, before that she was just known as woman. But in chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Adam named the woman Eve. 
the identity now she possessed was her own. Not satisfied with God's position. She wanted her own. Eve. I bring to us these things because as a married couple, as family, we can get out of alignment. If you go to the next slide, please, Elena, thank you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, we have the alignment of God. It's the alignment that God has purposely designed in order for the family to survive. Getting out of that alignment is what causes distress in families and in marriages. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, that Christ is the head of a man. Then the man is the head of the woman. And God is the head of Christ. So what we have is in this alignment established for us by God, reflective in marriage, is that God is first, followed by Jesus Christ, followed by husband, followed by wife. That is the alignment. And the reason that I can say that is because both in 1 Peter 3, And Ephesians chapter 5, the relationship between husband and wife is relative to the relationship of Jesus Christ. For it says in Ephesians chapter 5, wives, respect your husband as you respect Christ. Husbands, love your wives As Christ loved the church. Don't mess that up. Don't mess that up. There are some ladies. And at times I believe my wife fits this place. There are times when ladies in the family, wives of the family are more spiritual than their husbands. I have no misunderstanding of that whatsoever. I think that in the scriptures it talks about how women did not abandon Jesus Christ. The men did. There is that special connection that a woman has through the Spirit of Christ to the Savior Jesus Christ. That us guys, we have no idea how that works. But just as a tractor trailer coming off of an exit onto a throughway or a turnpike, it's bigger, it's stronger, it's carrying a whole lot more weight 
that tractor trailer still must yield to a car that is smaller, less powerful, and carrying a whole lot less weight. It still must yield to the position on the turnpike. Ladies, you may be more spiritual than your husbands. I'm glad I didn't hear a whole lot of amens on that one. But that does not mean that you usurp the authority in the home. Now, I am going to speak on singleness because I was raised by a single mom for a number of years. I am going to speak about that in days ahead. But when it comes to a husband and wife relationship in the family, it's the husband who is to be the head and the wife to be the respecter. But I will say this on your defense, ladies, it's this. It sure would be a whole lot easier to respect your husband if your husband loved you like Christ, wouldn't it? Oh, I'm going to get many amens on that one either. What? And so when, we, when a husband is not submitting to his rightful authority, then what he sees in his wife is simply a reflection of his own disorder. That statement blew me away when I read that. I had to include that. Sometimes husbands complain about their wives. None in this congregation, by the way. Sometimes husbands will complain about their wives. It's because the husband is seeing His wife react to who he is. And if I was more loving, I'll use that. If I was more loving in the house, then I would have nothing to complain about with my wife. Which, by the way, I don't. I don't. I learned that lesson a long time ago. You do not complain about one who stays up later than you. And there's a baseball bat in the corner. <laughs> Never been used, but I learned that. But when we talk about submission, that in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, when, when that first sentence comes, all of a sudden there's this invisible field, force field, that comes up to a wife and says, what is this? Submission. I should have had Pastor Steve start at verse 21 of Ephesians 5. For there it says, Paul says, I want you all to submit to one another. All. Submit to one another. The previous six verses from verse 15 to verse 21, the Apostle Paul is laying out. This is what a change of life in Jesus Christ looks like. And in verse 21, 
He says, I want you all to submit to one another. So ladies, bring down the barrier. Let's understand what do we mean by submission. It literally means this. Submission is an unpopular teaching. Understand that. But when we understand submission from a biblical perspective, we see that it is a a positive force to accomplish good. Not a negative force to subject someone to inferior status. The Greek word for submission means to place oneself under the authority of another. This means a willingness to take who and what God made you to be and submit it to the rightful authority. Now, I'm going to clarify something that I don't want you to get mixed up. The Apostle Paul is talking about family and marriage. Not the outside world. In other words, men... You have authority over one female, and that is your wife. I've worked in factories where I have had female supervisors and foremans. And I've had to respect them. The office that they hold, I have to respect them or I could be fired. But when it comes to the family and in the house, and yes, I can even say this, as Paul dictates this, even in 1 Corinthians, even in the church, I still have only one authority over, and that is my wife. Men, in your households, I am not your wife's husband. I can't make that even more clearer than that. I can't change your husband. But I'm going to give you a secret of how you can change your husband. As long as you change him the way God wants him to be. And and, and that's the problem. Because in marriages today, we watch too many Disney movies. Stop watching Hallmark. It don't work that way. Lord have mercy. The plot of Hallmark is about that thick. I got it figured out in the first five minutes. It don't always end that way. Enough said of that. Let's go on to the next slide, Elena, please. This is what it means for a wife to be under her husband. It's this. First, let me say, men and women are of equal value under God. 
as first Peter says, we are recipients of God's grace. No matter who you are, we are equal under God. But a husband is his wife's biblical head or covering. He's not to be a dictator or a master. We just read that in Genesis 2, we're given the created order. I'm sorry, we read in 3, Genesis 2, we're given the created order of God for the purpose of establishing a family. And when God's alignment gets out of order, that's when strife and disorder begin its process of undermining God's design. When I take my vehicle to be inspected at a local garage here, I won't say whose garage it is because he's sitting over here. They, they tell me, your vehicle is out of line. I say, well, how do you know that? It drives okay. Well, the tires reflect that your vehicle is out of line. Now, I've got a choice to make. I can cosmetically heal the situation by putting new tires on the vehicle. They'll last for a while. But then they will again show the problem. Or, I can take the advice of the mechanic who knows a whole lot more about it than I do and go get the vehicle aligned. We've been cosmetically trying to establish the family, but it's out of line. We try to cosmetically establish the family by buying stuff or by going places. When God says you're still out of line, looks good, but it's still out of line. We have a choice to make. Men, we can love our wives as Christ loves the church and watch out what it'll do in the family. Oh, we can make a choice not to. And watch out what it will do in the family. Wives, you can make the choice to allow yourself to be put under the headship, the covering of your husband, and watch out what will happen in the family. Or you can make the choice not to. And watch out. What will happen in the family? So whatever issue is causing friction in your marriage, or whatever decision needs to be made, you must discover God's viewpoint on the matter and align yourself under him. How can I cover another half hour and four minutes? But I will tell you this, ladies, this alignment does have limitations. For instance, 
If a husband demands his wife to rob a bank, of course, the wife's not obligated to do so. Husbands, we have no right to demand of our wives that which contradicts Scripture. No right. We then want to usurp our authority over the authority of Christ. Now I become the caller of the shots. And I become the determiner of what is right and what is wrong. Anytime, ladies, anytime your husband wants you to do something contrary to the scriptures, what you need to do is go to the scriptures and show them what God says. They may not like it. Kaopectate tastes horrible, but it'll do what it's supposed to do if you give it a chance. You go to the Word of God. For any husband to demand his wife to do something that is contrary to the Word of God, not only is the wife not obligated to obey, but also the husband has left his position of God's alignment by establishing himself as the authority instead of a godly leader. Yet apart from this restriction, Scripture says that a wife who honors God by living according to his precepts even creates an opportunity to win her husband over without lecturing, manipulating, or demeaning him. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Also put down 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And this may be hard to believe for some wise, but this is what God says in his word, which, he, which we can trust. In Romans 3, 4, it says that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you are judged. God promises his word will come true. So what, are, what does 1 Peter 5, 3 say? talks about a wife's trust in God. It says in 1 Peter 3, 5, the scripture says, For in past, holy women put their hope in God, also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands. Focusing your trust on the Lord means that you recognize there is something bigger going on here than your respect for your husband. There's something bigger going on. I am convinced that in our early years of marriage, that my wife trusted the Lord more than I did. And the Lord got my attention. How how, how can you prove that point? Okay. There are two passages, three passages in Scripture that highlight the fact that when a wife was entrusting herself and her situation to God, that God did something amazing. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, 
David is running still from Saul. And David remembers an individual by the name of Nabal. Nabal had a wife by the name of Abigail. Nabal was a very rich individual. And David sent some men to Nabal to request some goods. And David told his men to say this. That when David and his men of of mighty valor were in the land... They did not even bother Nabal, nor his servants, nor any of their livestock. They didn't lose anything. David didn't take anything. Now David is going to Nabal and asking for some refreshment of needs for him and his men. 600 of them. And Nabal said, no. I don't know you. I've heard of slaves running away from their masters, and you guys might be some of them, so no, you're not getting anything. Nabal now, in the characteristic form, has come to the understanding of what his name means. You look it up. Nabal means stupid. Abigail knew that. And yet she placed herself under... The authority of Nabal and what, and what Abigail did, without telling Nabal, she sent goods to the king. I'm giving you a quick overview. She sent goods to the king. David thanked her for doing that because David said, I was about to satisfy my own anger by coming and wiping out all of the men of Nabal's town. In other words, Abigail's willingness to trust God kept a king from doing something that would have destroyed his kingdom. Wives, if you trust God, There are two words that you can say to God. And then you watch God work. And it's simply this. God, three words. God, sick them. If you're willing to place yourself in the trust of the authority that God has put you in, the place of the family in the alignment Now you're calling upon God to do what you can't do. And God will do it. I promise you. Because God's words promise it. In Genesis chapter 12 and 20, it's the same account. Abraham blew it. Sent his wife. She's my sister. Not my wife. Twice he did it. But Sarah obeyed her place in God's alignment. And God protected her from the two kings. 
That's what it means, ladies, to trust, even in the midst of submission. God will work on your behalf. You don't have to be afraid. Because you got the words. God, sick them. And it will happen. I wish I could tell you that marriage is, is, is easy. It's not. It's simple. But it's not easy. Because we are fighting against society. We're fighting against our sin nature. We're fighting against us. It's simple. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands as you do the Lord. Respect ye all. That's simple. But is it easy? No. It's not easy. But I will tell you this in closing quick. That if you're willing to take God at his word and trust him. I guarantee you life and marriage will be a whole lot better. It's proven in the scriptures. Don't give up. The battle is on the horizon. And the church may very well be the last bastion of hope. We can't give hope unless we're doing the word of God. Let's pray. Our God and our Savior, it is through the name of Jesus Christ and by his blood and by the witness of his testimony that we can have victory. And I pray for these families, oh God. We're in the days of battle. We have nothing to fear. But unfortunately, we can have everything to lose if we decide to do it our way. But I ask, oh Lord God, That we would be willing, like Joshua said, choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. May we take your word, O Lord God, both husbands and wives. Not peruse over it quickly but to meditate upon it with a heart desire to take you at your word and trust you, O Lord God, for what your promises have. And use us. Use us as instruments of righteousness 
For the cause of the name of Jesus Christ, I say these things. Amen.